Good morning, Nashville. This is the Money Man Mike Show, where we talk all things real estate here on News Radio 1510 WLAC. I am your host, Michael Thayer with Waterstone Mortgage. I'm MLS licensed, and my license number is 173264. Joining me in studio this morning, I have Mr. David Lukey from Capital Homes. How are you this morning, man? I'm excellent. How you doing? Not bad, man. Not bad. Getting ready for the July 4th weekend that's coming up not too soon. I mean, not oh. too soon, not too long, I should say. Absolutely. It's here. It's, it is here, man. Yeah. Any big plans? Uh, no, not really. Just kind of, you know, grilling and chilling, right? <laughs> that's the American way, right? There you go. <laughs> hey, JT, how about you, man? Pretty much the same thing, just grilling. Man, that's the only thing to do, man. Just sit back, just relax. Going down to the fireworks? Uh, I am not. You're not? I stopped going to the fireworks when there was like 100,000 people downtown. Dude, that's been like, a long time yes, ago. Yes, you know, yes. Bellevue has a nice display. I don't know if you've ever seen that, seen that or not. Yeah, they actually do. Um, it's small, but it's nice. Where? Um, Red Caboose. Over by Red Caboose. Yeah, but then there's also another place that's um, back behind the parks, behind uh, the soccer fields, behind the Home Depot. Oh, yeah? There's like some church back there or some school back there that sets them off. Oh, really? Yeah, you can always sit up in the Home Depot parking lot or up there in the... Hmm. The, I can't remember the name of the road that's right there, but that's another good place. I've never watched them, but I know the one in Bellevue is pretty nice. Yeah, it's small, but it's nice. I mean, there's tons of places. I mean, every little city, I mean, like Hendersonville always has a good one. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. Does Mount Juliet have one? I don't know. You know who does the lake? Um, Lakewood? Not Lakewood, but um, uh, right over there at, uh, at, the, at the dam, uh, Percy Priest. Somewhere right over mm, there. Yeah, could be. I can't yeah, remember what it's know. called. You know what that's called, JT? I do not. But there, there always seems to be something over there, like on the second or the third. That way, they're not competing with the uh, July Fourth holiday. Yeah, that's a Hendersonville. They do theirs on the third, just so they don't compete. Yeah, can't blame them. Mm-mm, not at all. Oh well, let's get into some real estate this morning, man. Hey, if you missed this, missed our show last week, man, you missed an outstanding show. And David, you missed uh, part of our little comeback, man. You. Uh, Asked a question about a 30 or 15 year a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Got some feedback, uh, a couple emails, a couple texts about people saying, you know, I see it differently or I have this different opinion. You know, okay. some were people like, we agree or no, I do the 15. And everyone has a, you know, sure. a different opinion. And it's no, no, mm-hmm. no answers wrong. You know, it's whatever your preference is. So we got into more of talking about and showing the 15 versus the 20 and doing the numbers and taking a 50, I mean, taking a 30 and paying it like a 15 and showing exactly how much you would save or how much the cost difference is sure. so you can really see the difference. Um, but, I mean, the, the, the do the 15, I totally understood where you were coming from from that point of view. Sure. But at the same time, not, not everybody's going to be able to manage that 15 payment. Well, you know, it's about the spread. If the spread's not yes. very big, you know, it's not – you got to – it's all situational, and you kind of have to be able to do the math. And the only way to do the math is to understand the, the concepts behind it. Yeah. And, and to me, it's a lot about spread. What's the spread? And the amortization charts will lay it all out, show you yeah. that what that spread means to you in dollars and cents and what your savings are. Boom. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's, you know, some people are never, ever, ever do an adjustable rate. Right. Never, ever, ever do an adjustable rate. And right now, I kind of get that logic because adjustable rates, the spreads aren't huge. No. But when I first started in this business, <laughs> and we'll have to go back and explain. Or, or JT's in my gonna, day, Sonny. He's going he's gonna to hit the buzzer. But when I first started, it was 25, almost 30 years ago, you could get a 30-year fixed at 10.5%. Wow. Or you could get, we had the six-month arm 
with one six caps, we'll explain that in a second, that started at four and a half percent. Which is very appealing versus the 10, 10 point what? Uh, 10 and a half. All right, so 10 and a half versus four. Four and a half with one six caps. All right, so 6% difference in rate. Yes, with one six caps. All right. So now I know I know that he is getting his finger very close to that buzzer. Yeah. What the heck are you talking about? Yeah, JT's in there like, come on, man. Stop, okay. with the, stop with the lingo. So this was a six-month adjustable. So every six months it adjusted as opposed to the typical, which is every year. Right. But it could not go up or down more than 1% any six-month period, 6% the life of the loan. All right. So let's stop right there. Go ahead. So just in just layman's terms – I could take out ten and a half mm-hmm. and pay ten and a half, or I could have four and a half, and in one year, let's say it even adjusted up one point. So now I'm paying five and a half. Well, I'm still paying. That was six months, but yes. Yeah. Oh, it's six months, but I'm still paying five yes. points cheaper than what I would have been paying if I was in a 30 year fixed at ten and a half. That's right. And then a second adjustment. Yes. And and you so on. You can do the math and realize, okay, who cares if it adjusts? You're still paying less than what yes. you would have been paying. And the lifetime months. cap was a six percent cap, so Wait. four and a half plus six and a, is six is ten and a half. You're no worse. So the absolute worst case scenario rate that you would have paid was what the thirty year fixed was Bingo. at the time. Bingo. And then on top of that, that was in a marketplace where rates started to drop. So it's going to go down. And it actually, you know, it's got the teaser it's rate. Floor. So, But it had the teaser rate, too. Yeah. So the fully adjusted rate was 6.5%. But after it went to 5.5%, it started dropping. Right. And so the people who got the 10.5% refinanced about every year, paid out that money, you mm-hmm. know, 1% or 2% of the sales purchase price every year to refinance. And the people that took the six-month arm never refinanced because the rates kept dropping on them. Right. Yeah, it's the arms get a bad rap just for the bad market you know the, the the bad press they received in the marketplace from news and everything, and some of the the arms that were out there were really exotic and really creative. I mean, you had to pick a pay pay option arms where you had four payment options. Oh, some of them were terrible. They were, and they had all these prepayment penalties. Yes. I mean, just a straight up vanilla conforming conventional arm these days. Even a VA or actually, I don't even think the VA offers an arm anymore. Um, I think the spreads have gotten so low. It's just the it's VA just, arm just doesn't mean anything. No, but I mean you're going to start to see the arms come back and become more appealing. Um, we're starting to see that now on some of the bigger purchases, the the larger price of homes. Um, but I mean, it's just something to look at. I personally am on an arm, and so, it's just a, a smarter way to go, in my personal opinion. So we've got three different newspaper articles that we're looking at right here. Yep. So when we get back, we need to start diving into these newspaper articles. But the thing that I want everybody to leave with as they listen to this show, and they can go to, what's your website? Moneymanmike.net. Or you can go to capitalhomeideas.com to find more information about this. If you're thinking about an arm, I think the critical thing to look at is what the caps are. Understand what the caps are, how frequently it changes, and what those caps are. And what index it's tied to. That's true. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. Yep. But listen here to the Money Man Mike Show here on News Radio 1510 WLAC. We'll be right back. (laughs) 
Hey, welcome back to News Radio 1510 WLAC. You are listening to the Money Man Mike Show. We talk all things real estate. I'm your host, Michael Thayer with Waterstone Mortgage. And in studio today, we have David Lucier from Capital Homes. And man, during the first break, David and I just kind of... We nerded out. We nerded out. David and I like getting into all these numbers and getting into all the details of stuff. And I'm like, man... I didn't even talk about what we're going to talk about on the show. <laughs> I didn't even. I started to talk about what we covered last week's show, and was going to tell you guys, hey, if you missed last week's show and you missed the fact of what we talked about with David and I, David asking a question about the fifteen and twenty, I'm fifteen mm-hmm. versus the thirty, to go out to our website at moneymanmike.net and check it out, or on Facebook at uh, Money Man Mike Radio because we record everything with video, high-def video. Obviously, it's audio recorded because you're hearing it on the air. And you can sit back and look at all the videos that we've recorded, along with a bunch of bloopers and outtakes and so forth. So check it out, moneymanmike.net. You can also get the contacts for anybody that appears on the show and uh, reach out to them as well. So check that out, and on Facebook at Money Man Mike Radio. Just make sure and put those definitions for those arm terms that people are going to need. Like the caps and the uh, what, what the spread, yeah, and the um, the index. We'll put that out there for sure. All that very interesting, fun stuff. Oh yeah, stuff you need to know. But uh, this week, man, we prepared a couple different things. One thing I was going to ask, especially knowing you were going to be here, what do you think the average price per gallon for gas? What do you think the average price per gallon? has been for the last 10 years for gas. Because I was sitting in a meeting with Brad Reynolds from last uh, Synergy 10 years? Realty. Yeah. And he was asking me that. And he's like, you know, you'd be surprised. 230? No. 260. JT, what do you think? Are you talking U.S.? Yeah. Nashville. Okay, Nashville. Um, the average U.S. I mean, the average guy. <laughs> yeah, I can't talk this morning. It's the average price per gallon for gas. For the last 10 years? For the last um, ten years, I'm going to say two forty. So we got two forty. Uh, that's between two thirty and two sixty. Two seventy five. Wow. Yeah, because they're back in the oh eight oh nine. It was pushing what three upper threes for a while. Yeah, yeah. it was. It was. It got close to four bucks a gallon. Yeah. yeah. I'll put a chart on the website again at moneymanmike.net on Facebook at moneymanmike radio. But Brad and I were talking about this. Brad Reynolds from. Um, uh, Synergy Realty, and he asked me, and he said, "Would you believe, you know, you know what gas is now versus what it's been over the last ten years?" Blah 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 blah. And we we're just really going to town and talking about these averages and the market and so forth. And man, you look at this graph, and back in uh, late, that's ah, probably two thousand. What is it? Two thousand eight. It was almost actually it was down below a dollar fifty. Wow. And then it spikes all the way up to. Over the four dollar range um, in 2011, and it's constantly hovering back and forth between four dollars and three dollars for the next I don't know three four years, and then it's finally started to trickle back down, and it's where it is now. But uh, it was interesting to see that the the national, not actually national, the Nashville average is definitely lower than the U.S. average, which I think a lot of people would not sure. be surprised to see that. But uh, at the same time, you can see it on the graph. And like I said, we'll put it out there. But I just thought it was interesting to see and just kind of. That goes back to Haslam trying to raise the, the gas tax. We're, we got one of the lower gas taxes. Oh, absolutely. In the country. And, you know, and 
you know, people will debate whether it's a good idea to raise that tax so we can invest in our highways. Of course, the, the, the consistent argument against that is, well, they won't spend it on that. They'll spend it on other stuff. And that, you know, that may be true. You got to spend it on the roads, man. There's a 440. Gosh, that sucker needs some repair. That's no. a, that's a separate issue. We yeah. just need to do some <laughs> non-sexy stuff too, by fixing bridges and stuff like that. Or, roads. Or we're going to have problems. Yeah. So you know, we we always talk about the industry lingo, and I want to get into that before we get into a couple other topics that we're going to talk about today. Because David mentioned about the articles we have in here and wall-to-wall newspaper. Yes, you have several in here because it's gonna. We're going to talk about renting versus buying and several other little uh, topics. But uh, industry lingo. I don't want to spend too much time on this today, but. Um, we always like to put a few things out there for people so that they understand things. So when David says something like an arm adjustable rate mortgage and caps and stuff like that, you know what we're talking about. And one of the common things that we hear or say or references agencies. And from a hmm. lending point of view, the agencies, we're always referring to or either referring to, I should say, uh, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, uh, FHA or VA. But typically you're talking Fannie or Freddie. Um, you can also get Ginny May in there. And basically, these are the quasi-government lending organizations um, that were initially private but then took into conservatorship and so forth. Um, that's a whole different story and a long story um, to the bailout. But um, but basically, every loan that is sold – not every loan, I should say. What do you think? About 95 percent? Something like that. Most everything that gets wholesaled. Yes. Yeah, it, it goes through them. I mean, we as banks, we just don't have an endless, you know, pocket of money. We don't have a printing press downstairs at the you know bottom floor of our banks just keep on printing money to lend out to you know, oh, people. It, it's it's part of that liquidity that allows the marketplace to thrive. I mean, Absolutely. for the most part, the only loans that get held in what's called a portfolio are the mega loans. Yes. Like you may have noticed that story last week about that mega loan that Deutsche Bank did on the new luxury condo that's right on uh, um, uh, uh, what's the park Central Park Central Park yes and uh, it's ninety seven tower tower ninety seven whatever it is and New and York th- yeah the most expensive home to ever go into foreclosure is going into foreclosure this week. $21 million. 21 large. Yeah, it was lent by Deutsche Bank. We don't really know who the buyer was. And we don't know how much they put down, if anything, but it was a portfolio loan. You know, yeah. that's a loan that some rich organization or rich individual yeah. went to Deutsche Bank and said, hey, you know, I know I borrow a billion dollars from you here year in and year out. We've run a bunch of money through your accounts. I'd like you to lend me some money to buy this condo so I can, when I go to New York, I've got a place to stay instead of a hotel or whatever. So, you know, who knows what the rich people do. Why not stay in the penthouse of the hotel? I mean, why do you have to have your own uh, penthouse? I don't know, know man. I don't know. I guess, you know, I don't know. Cheaper. Yeah, I guess. You would think it is. I don't know. I, I you know, but and there's, there's a great, I received an article from a, uh, a friend of mine who has a, um, a private newsletter that he gets and it's talking about luxury apartments and how much luxury apartments have gone up and how many have gone up. And it's talking about the potential of too many of them going up. Uh, and they're talking, you know, they're talking about at length what's going to happen with all of these big McMansions that the baby boomers have built mm-hmm. and what are they going to do next? And just kind of the the squeeze that's going to happen, what they think is going to happen. 
Um, what do they say? What kind of squeeze? Well, they're they're talking again about the the potential for the McMansions as they come back in the marketplace, um, flooding the market, and also they're talking about something else that it doesn't get talked a lot a whole lot about with these hedge fund companies that buy up single family homes to rent them out. And what happens when they decide that's no longer a good investment and they're going to sell them? Now, it does go on to make a different point, too, about how one of the things they expected to happen that's not happening is baby boomers do not want to leave their house. Right. That they are selecting instead of leaving their house to do reverse mortgages so they can continue to pay the property taxes and keep up the property. Okay. And uh, for those that don't know how a reverse mortgage works, basically if you own your house or you mostly own your house, they'll make payments to you based on how old you are and how much longer they think they're you're going to live. And Basically the, pay the equity. Yeah, you know. the interest and paid out in advance. And then when you pass away, they sell. They own the house then and then sell the house right. and pay off their debt. And people are doing that as a way to pay the property taxes and also have some extra money for the retirement so they can enjoy the retirement with the idea that they're not planning on leaving much to their kids because they're going to run all the equity out in the house. Yes, not from the house at least. Yeah. So that's exactly right. And so that they were acknowledging that that is a hole in their theory, that there's going to be a flood of McMansions on the market because baby boomers aren't leaving them. They don't want to leave them. And then also the idea that millennials don't want to buy homes. Well, we know that that's not the case. We know that they want to buy oh, yeah, homes. They're and they're excited to buy, and, and they're looking forward to it. Are they defining what they're considering a McMansion, a dollar amount size? Is no, they didn't really get into that, but they're just talking about the larger suburban homes. And, larger suburban. And then they're also talking about the very expensive luxury apartments, apartments. that are being built. Yeah. Hey, we got to jump out to the break. When we get back, we're going to dig into that article a little bit more, talk about that, and see if it correlates any to the Nashville market, and uh, get into other things about the cost of living and how it's still and has been quite some time much cheaper to buy versus renting. So you've been listening to the Money Man Mike Show here on News Radio 1510 WLAC. We'll be right back. Hey, welcome back to News Radio 1510 WLAC. You are listening to the Money Man Mike Show where we are talking all things of real estate. Been talking about the cost of apartments and housing, and Oof. the an article that David brought in, David Lukey from Capital Homes, talking about uh, the mega mansions and you know the baby boomers not selling and, and moving and stuff like that, and the possible you know not a bubble or a housing collapse, but what are you going to do with these things if, according to Axometrics, the average rent in the U.S. $1,304. $1,304 to rent. Yes. Do we know what it is in Nashville? It's cheaper than that. You think? Not much, but it's slightly know, cheaper. Man. Some of these high-rises are going around downtown. Crazy. I was about to say, you got to qualify. How how big of a place was that $1,300, did it say? That, this is, Nash, this is Nash, nationwide average. Nationwide it's got to be average. a one-bedroom one then. Well, it doesn't specify size. In other words, it's what the average person is paying for an apartment, whether what's normal in your marketplace is one bedroom or whether you're normal in your marketplace is two bedrooms or a studio like in New York. One of the interesting things that they pointed out was that there are only uh, 13 counties in the entire United States where the average rent is low enough 
that somebody making minimum wage, working 40 hours a week, can afford to keep their rent at one-third of their income. Oh, <laughs> and wow. I don't even want to know what counties they are because you know they're not. Yeah, they're not counties you want to live in. Thirteen counties, only thirteen counties in the whole United States. Wow. Well, good to see minimum wages keeping up. Yeah, yes. I mean that goes in line with um, this other study that was showing that uh, the cost of renting versus buying historically, twenty-one percent of the income needed to afford the medium house. Historically, it's been 21%. Mm. Now it's only 15.8. One more time. Let me see that. 21%. It's cheaper now versus what it's been. Oh, okay. Yes. And that, the, so what you're saying is that the monthly payments necessary to own a home is becoming a smaller percentage of people's income. Right. Going from 21 down to 15.8, let's call it 16, based on, you know, Probably interest rates more than anything. Yeah. So, so for those people who can afford to purchase, right, which kind of goes back to the wealth gap that's happening in America, where people who are at the bottom end can't even find an apartment to live, but people who are at the, you know, with the college education and so forth, right, are able to spend less of their income on their housing and therefore continue to accumulate more wealth. Yeah. And then the rest of the article goes into talking about the median rent. It used to be historically was 25.8% of the median income mm. was needed to rent. Now it's 29.2. Wow. So it kind of goes in line with your article of thir- only 13 counties. Yeah. What, what was that line again? 13, 13 counties? counties in the United States have average rents low enough that you can afford to live there if you work full-time at minimum wage. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, wow. you know, it's interesting, you know, bringing it back home, there was a great article in the Tennessean on June 25th. And the gist of the article is Nashville, uh, Antioch is about to take off. About to take off? More than it has. And, and they're talking a little bit about a handful of things that are happening. So here's a couple surprising statistics, okay? In the greater Nashville, Nashville, Nashville. Nashville. <laughs> greater, Come on, Predators. Smashville, baby. And <laughs> the greater Nashville area yeah. in, in Davidson County, 32.4% of the people have a bachelor degree or higher. Okay. Okay. What do you think that percentage is in Antioch? Oh. 32.4% in Nashville and Davidson County. So just ask, do you think it's higher or lower in Antioch? Lower. JT, what well, do you well, think? Well, the fact that you're asking leads me to believe it's going to be higher. It is higher. It's 37%. Really? A full 5% higher. Really? Can you believe that? The median age is lower, 31.8 uh, versus 34.2. The poverty level in Antioch is a full 50% lower than it is in the rest of Davidson County. It's 18.2%. In Davidson County, it's 13.6% in Antioch. Really? Yeah. Now, something that we know, the foreign-born people who were born outside of the country is 20% of the population in Antioch, which we kind of know that. Yeah. Hispanics are high at 15%, um, and African-Americans are also making up 38% of the buyers out there. The, the, but the, I just I was really surprised to see that the college education in that area is yeah. so much higher. Yes, you know, five. I mean, that's a that's a full sixth higher, a full thirteen percent higher than Davidson County, and you know that's compared to areas like Green Hills and yeah. and Berry Hill yeah. and all that good stuff. I mean, it's the whole county, and you know, the, the median income's a little lower. 
you know, I'm sure that that gets pulled up pretty hard by Berry Hill and so forth. Right, right. Um, but that the you know the population is really growing out there. The bulk of the growth in Davidson County is actually in Antioch, and the number of things that are coming that way are really staggering. We'll we'll try to link this article on uh, Capitol Homes Facebook page talking about the different jobs and so forth. And I and I don't know. If people have been out there lately, but where the old Hickory Hollow Mall got replaced by Nashville State and yeah. also by the world market out there, mm-hmm. it's really getting quite nice. You yeah. know, and, and Nashville State has really been a nice thing to add out there. A lot of people, I think, are continuing their education by being able to ride the bus there or walk there right, right. or whatever. And, and it's really getting quite nice. The thing that I wish that, you know, Mayor Barry would do is <laughs> there is not a bus that runs back and forth down Old Hickory Boulevard from Brentwood to Antioch. You what? Can, you, There's not a bus that goes from Brentwood to Antioch? The, there is a bus that goes from Brentwood to Antioch, but it doesn't go back. You have to go downtown to get back to Brentwood. So if you're in Antioch, if you're at Hickory Hollow Mall and you want to get to Brentwood, the only way to ride the bus right now is to ride the bus all the way downtown and turn around and then come back out 65 and go to Brentwood. That makes no sense. So now you can go from Brentwood to Antioch, but you can't go from Antioch to Brentwood. That makes no sense. It goes in a loop. Which I kind of get that it goes in a loop, but, but still. I think if there was a bus line that just went back and forth straight up and yeah. down Old Hickory Boulevard, people would figure it out and they'd go, "Oh, this is great! This is my new commute." Because there's a lot of people. If you've ever driven I, I was Old just Hickory about Boulevard, to say, with as many people that go down that corridor, why not? Man, if there was a bus that just went back and forth, there's a lot of people who work in yeah. Brentwood that would just ride that bus all day long. I mean, I, I'm with you. I understand the loop going down to the main hub, but I mean that corridor. Is, I mean, holy cow! During rush hour, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. Yes. That is insane. Yes. David and I need to go down for DOT or, I don't know, mass transit. Well, the, the mayor is looking for suggestions for the new bus. So if, if for anybody who's contact with the mayor, or she's actually gotten doing a public forum on that. I JT, you need, yes. no, you need to nominate us, brother. Uh, okay. <laughs> we, are, we are cruising through the articles. We are doing great. Making up, man. We are, we're going to post a lot of this stuff on uh, your website and my website and Facebook, Absolutely, right? Absolutely, brother. Fantastic. We're going to talk about the four L's. This was a great article that you handed me this when we first got here this morning. Supply and demand problems plaguing new construction. Heck yeah. I mean, it's it's literally the four L's. Lots, labor, lumber, lending. So let's go back to that article that I was telling you was from a private uh, um, a money manager, right, that was talking about how there was going to be a lot of supply. This is why I think they may be a little wrong. Okay. Okay. The article that you're talking about, I think it kind of explains the squeeze towards the high end because if you only have so many lots and you only have so much labor and if you only have so much lumber, you're probably going to try to make the most you can with the higher price premium homes. Correct. Okay, you're not going to want to build lower homes, because the more entry-level first-time buyer homes because, well, you can only build one house because you only got one lot. Absolutely. It's not like you have 100 lots in front of you. Right. And so that's one of the things you're talking about. They're talking about lots. In, in what we mean by lots, of course, is the in a planned unit development in a subdivision where they have you know land 50 acres and they're going to turn it into 120 yep. lots. It takes longer and longer every year to try to get those things entitled and improved. And so the longer it takes, the more we run out because we had that 10-year period during the Great Recession where we weren't trying to develop lots. 
And so <laughs> that has created a real lack of land available for people to, to build homes build on. on. Yeah. So that's really a real deal, and it's not going to change anytime soon, and it's getting harder and harder to try to get them on the ground. I mean, we'll talk about the other two, the labor and the lumber. Uh, it also talks about the lending here when we come back. But it is really interesting how things are getting pushed. Yeah, I mean, it's a true supply and demand issue. I mean, it really just boils down to that. But we got to jump out to this break. When we come back, we're going to pick up this article and get into the four L's and dissect it and wrap up the show. You've been listening to the Money Man Mike Show here on News Radio 1510 WLIC. We'll be right back. Hey, welcome back to the Money Man Mike Show here on News Radio 1510 WLAC, where we're talking all things real estate. And we've been talking about the supply and demand issue with new construction in the four L's, which are the lots, the labor, the lumber, and the lending. And given that we have David Lukey here with us from Capital Homes, it just seemed very appropriate to have him dive into this article with us and just talk about the new construction issues and you know exactly you know we talked about in the prior segment how the lots there's a shortage mm-hmm. during the recession you guys stopped developing lands because you know, why develop the land and get the lending to do it anyway yeah it's just like stop yeah. it bring it to a screeching halt we don't need it yeah. so all the land development got put to the side well now all of a sudden it's like you can't crank it up fast enough, and it's just and the banks aren't. There's different lending than what you do. Yes, you're talking about what's called an A and D loan, acquisition and development loan. Banks still won't do acquisition and development loans. They'll only do development loans. Why won't they do A and D? They're just too tight. So you have to acquire the land with cash. Really. And then you can borrow the development portion because they want to keep their leverage low. They want to keep safe. They don't want to run into the same issues they ran into last uh, time. Interesting. Right. And so, you know, it's still t- it takes considerably more cash now to develop a piece of property than it used to. Okay. So you either have to come up with it private equity wise or you have to have it yourself. or And so it squeezed out a lot of players. And it's, you know, pushing push yeah. up the margin, too, because, you know, if you don't have any competition, you're going to make more money. Absolutely. And so that that is really putting a lot of pressure on land. So one of the other L's, we talked about lumber. We actually broke this story. Yes, you did. We were the first ones that I know talking about the story back in January. And we have the video evidence yes, to prove it. Yes, we do. We've been talking about lumber prices shooting up the way that it did, shooting up uh, 20% or more. Uh, this article says 13%. Um, due basically to the uh, the trade war that we're having with Canada put a big, large tariff on it, and all the lumber companies are making more money, and and the consumer is really paying through the nose for that. Um, Labor, you know, it talks about how many people, and I know a lot of people who are in this boat that used to be framers or electricians that left those jobs during the recession to become truck drivers and whatever else they could do. But they couldn't find work. I mean, no one's building they worked well past their one year unemployment. Mm-hmm. You know, they, I mean, let me rephrase that. They didn't work well past their one year of unemployment. Well past one year. Right. They, when you start getting into eighteen months, and you only had unemployment for one year, which is, you know, I understand that you got to put yeah, people back to find, work. Yeah. You know, then all this they got to go find a job. Absolutely. Whether it's working at Walmart or whether find it's working something. at Home Depot or it's yeah. driving a truck or whatever you got to do, you're going to go do it. Absolutely. And then you've got to decide: is it really worth going back into? Mm-hmm. I've got a good job. It's not right. paying me that much more. Right. And then labor is tight there, so we raise our wages. Raise our wages. Say that ten times fast. Yeah, really. <laughs> and then you know, 
everybody else raises their wages too. And you can't keep up with it that way. The one thing that it doesn't talk about, you know, whether you, you think it's good policy or not, a lot of people think this is good policy. The other thing that happened during the Great Recession is people who did not want to migrate back to Mexico but had no choice. Right. Because there were at least family support for them down in mm-hmm. Mexico and, and there wasn't the support that they needed up here and they were getting increasingly pushed aside. Mm-hmm. Um, and now they, they're they not able to come back, let alone whether they want to come back or not. Right, they can't right. come back. It's just not an option for them. Right. And so we lost a significant amount of workforce to that migration back to Mexico. Uh, we've talked about it on the show. People yep. think that people yep. are still coming across the border. They're actually going the other way and, and they haven't been coming back at all. So that's a young, strong workforce yes. that is not coming back. And, and we're certainly, you know, whether you think it's good policy or not, we're not letting them come back. And so I'm sure that you'll get lots of Facebook messages about separate issues, separate shows, separate everything. <laughs> well, someone's going to come. Send your that. hate mail to David. Yeah, at- yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, yeah. Go ahead. Get on my Facebook page. Tell me I'm an idiot. I don't care. Um, but anyway, those, you know, so those are the three. And I'll let you talk about lending. I, I think lending is coming not quite as crazy as it was, but I, we are seeing some some relaxing of the rules. Is that correct? I mean, yeah. I mean, this article goes in and talks about it, and the article is published by the National Association of Home Builders. So, I mean, it's a credible, credible, uh, credible article along with uh, CoreLogic's chief economist um, talking about it as well. And basically – Lending was just back in the day during the recession. It was or everything leading up to the great the great recession, the financial collapse, the whole nine yards. It was just out of control. I mean, literally, we've talked about on the show that you, if you could sign, you could show up at closing, or we could come to you. You could sign. You got a loan. Yeah. Yeah. No income documentation. No problem. No proof of down payment. We'll give you hundred percent financing. No problem. Oh, you already own five homes. Here's two more. Yeah. No problem. Oh, you're going to rent these out? Okay. We don't need leases. No problem. They didn't care. The whole thing was set in motion from Congress wanting to increase home ownership. And they opened up the underwriting rules. And now what and what they did was they tied them all up. And now they have loosened that up to to a more I don't want to say common sense cuz lending is not always common sense. It's a very black and white rule book. But I mean, the money's there, despite what you hear on the radio, and you know, no pun intended here with us. But I mean, it, despite what you hear, people grumbling about, you know, got denied for this or got denied for that. There is lending available. Fannie Mae's making loans, Freddie Mac. I mean, all the stuff. If you've got problems, give us a call at Waterstone Mortgage. Look us up online. Definitely go see David. He'll sell you a house. But I mean, there's tons of mortgage options out there. Regardless of you, if you've got a, you know, high five hundred, you know, low six hundreds credit score, if you've got a an eight hundred credit score, mm-hmm. regardless of what your income documentation type is, there's all sorts of ways to get around it. You have one year's uh, uh, self employment tax income. You know, let's talk about it. Let's look at the your, your income. There's ways to get around things and ways to document stuff. So. I would caution people with one note, though. They got to come into it with good expectations. Absolutely, and that is that they're going to ask you for a lot more information than you ever used to see before. Oh, for sure. And they're going to need things documented. Yes. You know, and they're really going to want to check. So if you say your aunt Mabel <laughs> is giving you your five percent down, they're not only going to just accept the fact that Aunt Mabel writes you a check. 
Mm-hmm. They're going to want to verify where Aunt Mabel got the money. Is that right? That is right. And that also changes from one loan program to the next, which you wouldn't think it would, but it does. But, you know, it's it's a full documentation world. And, you know, like your example there, that goes back to some of the the basic money laundering, yeah. anti-bank, you know, to protect us and protect bank and financial institutions mm-hmm. and some of it doesn't make sense to the average person, and I get it. But yet, at the same time, when you understand all the crazy fraud that was committed and oh, the way people took advantage of the system, then you really appreciate and understand why the rules are they are. Well, you know, and I want to clarify something that you said. All right. Okay, you said there are ways to work around it. And I don't think that's what you really meant. Not like that. I, I think what you really meant was that depending on your situation – there are different programs yes. designed to fit almost every situation. Exactly. So there are programs designed to fit people who have good income but not great credit. Exactly. There are mortgage programs designed to fit people with great credit, self-employed, that have large deductions Yep. in their income. Yep. Not unverifiable income. No, it's got to be verifiable. But some small business owners have large deductions that show their bottom line income low but their top line income substantial. Yep. And so there's programs designed to work with them. So there's it's not that there's workarounds, but there are different programs that you need someone like Michael to go through with you to figure that out. But it is interesting going back to the story we were talking about earlier about that apartment down in New York mm-hmm. and they were talking about it on on CNBC mm-hmm. about well you just don't know about that loan. You don't. Because it was out of country bank. Mm-hmm. Right, it was Deutsche Bank. Who who knows what they did? They could decide to lend on any way, anyhow, for whatever reason Absolutely. they want to. Absolutely, you know. And so that's where things have changed because that kind of yeah, we don't care loans was given to everybody. Literally, whereas before you had to have a relationship with a bank. Like I'm refinancing one of my personal rental properties and, mm-hmm. and I'm getting a portfolio loan that's going to get papered by the bank. It's not going to be sold to Fannie Mae or Fannie. This bank has said, hey, David, you borrow enough money from us. We'll, we'll lend you this money and you and I will decide what the terms are. Right. And we're going to, oh, yeah, we'll just do it. You know, right. we're, We'll figure out how we're going to do it within the rules and we're just going to do it. And so it's not going to be a loan that they could ever sell on the secondary market. Um, Secondary market being something that's going through Fannie, Freddie, through Wall Street, and it's being sold to the investors. It is literally like I went next door and knocked on my neighbor's door and said, hey, can you lend me some money? Exactly. And they said, okay, well, I'll lend you money under these situations and terms. And I said, okay. Exactly. Whereas what Michael does is he goes to the broader marketplace and says, what are the rules I got to play within? And they tell him the rules, and then he figures out which one of those rule sets fits your needs. Absolutely. And so, you know, not everybody has big relationships with Deutsche Bank and can just borrow money <laughs> willingly. Twenty-one million large. Yeah, you know. I mean, it's basically lended is just that. I mean, you're you're trying to take a square peg and shove it through a round hole. Yeah. I mean, you're you're looking through the guidelines, and so many times we get a somebody with a conventional credit score, yeah. which would be like you know seven forty or higher or seven hundred or whatever. And they have to go FHA. And they're like, why? Well, it's because of the way your income's documented. Yeah. Here's the rule. Or vice versa. And yeah. it's just 
this is the way you fit the rules fit you or you fit the rules or however you want to slice it or dice it. This is the way we've got to play the game. So, hey, JT's telling us we got to go, man. So that's enough for us this week. You can catch have us next week. Have a great 4th of July. Absolutely. Have a wonderful 4th of July. Be safe out there. And, again, if you've missed any of the prior shows, check us out on moneymanmike.net or out on Facebook at moneymanmikeradio. For myself, Michael Thayer with Waterstone Mortgage, David Lukey at Capital Homes. You guys have a great weekend.